You are now listening to the Conversationalist Podcast. Well, hello, and thank you for listening to another episode of the Conversationalist Podcast. I'm Jesse, and I'm here with Amanda. Hi. It's episode 71, which is going to cover um, our attendance at WonderCon 2018. Why are you <laughs> laughing at me? What's up? You know what's up. I have no idea what the hell you're talking about. Yeah, you do. So uh, we're just going to talk a little bit about WonderCon. And um, we didn't attend like Saturday and Sunday or even like just the Saturday that we normally would. Um, We ended up just attending Sunday, which kind of... So you mean we didn't attend Friday or Saturday? (laughs) Yes, that's (laughs) what I'm saying. But I mean, it's, it's one of those things where like in previous years... We've always, you know, made a point to just go Saturday, just because that's when most of the stuff is happening. I think there was one year we did it Sunday, and then we were kind of like, okay, we're not going to do just a Sunday anymore, because I think that year we went on a Sunday, it was Easter Sunday. And it was the first year we went. Most, most of the years we've gone, we've gone on Sunday, because, yeah. No. Don't shake your head at me. Yes, we did, no. because we were like, oh... Because the vendors are trying to get rid of their stuff, so it was all discounted. And they were like, oh, it kind of blows because it's on Easter. Yeah. Mm-mm. Yes. No. Anyways, I don't know. I thought we were trying to talk about, like, accuracy and... No, I'm just, I'm just messing with you. We've gone on more than one Sunday. I mean, we've we've attended more than one Sunday, but the thing is, is when we've gone in previous years, it was one of those things where, like, damn... There's just so much better programming on Saturday and a lot more stuff that's still around Saturday. Because like she was saying, Sunday, it's always like a wind down day where everybody, I think, is assuming that there's not going to be as many people coming in. And so they're already kind of like, you know, starting to pack up or like get ready to go. Um, it's just more noticeable for obvious reasons. We've gone on a Friday before, too. Was yeah. it last year we went on Friday? I think uh, we tended to Friday before? and Saturday. Yeah. So, but the thing is, is, um, you know, this year we kind of wanted to attend and we did want to go on a Saturday. The thing is, in previous years, there's never really been like a risk of the tickets um, selling out, you know, prior, you know, to the event. And so the thought was, is we're like, okay, well, we don't know if we're going to be able to attend because of something that might come up. And so let's just keep our options open. And then if we find that we can go, then we'll just buy the tickets then. Well, is the day drew closer? Saturday was gone. And then I think Friday was also gone too, right? Yeah, and then they ended up selling out of the three days as well. Yeah, so we were kind of like, you know, screwed. We're like, all right, well, I guess we're attending Sunday only. So, I mean, it worked out, you know, for our schedule and everything. Um, We were at least able to go. And, um, you know, because... Honestly, we've been going for years now. It was the first uh, convention we ever attended. And we really do like WonderCon. And there's normally, I mean, as far as like smaller conventions go, it's probably one of the better ones, like of any of the ones we've attended. And it so it's getting bigger. Yeah. And it, uh, so, you know, it when it came right down to it, we're just kind of like, okay, well, are we or aren't we? I'm <laughs> just kind of like, oh, yeah, we are. So it was a last minute deal. I think we bought the tickets like the day before. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, opted to get out there. So 
um, when we went, I mean, normally we even kind of like have some plans on like what we're going to do. We've already kind of looked at the, the schedule and it was like a very last minute, like we're like in a hurry, like flipping through the program, like as we picked it up on Sunday and we're like, all right, what are we doing? Um, and we did a lot of panels and our kids were not super psyched about it. Not really. Um, I mean, but you know, kids don't want to sit around, you know, listening to the inter, you know, the finer points of like how a movie was made. They just want to see that it looks fucking cool. Well, and those chairs hurt. I mean, yeah, they're not comfortable if you're sitting for hours <laughs> at a time. That's for sure. My butt hurt after the first panel we did. I was like, <laughs> okay, this is uncomfortable. <laughs> and see, the thing is too, is like sometimes, I mean, and this, you know, comes with just a smidge of, um, you know, experience from prior cons, especially with like a place like WonderCon or um, even uh, Comic-Con in San Diego is that, you know, if you get into a good panel and then there's a panel that you want to see that's, you know, two hours from then, but there's like this panel that you're not necessarily interested in that's, you know, between the panel that you're in and, you know, that it's before the panel that you want to see, you might just stick it out, you know, for that panel just because they don't clear rooms like a bunch of other conventions do. And so, you know, you want to stay for the other panel in hopes of moving up and getting like a super good seat which i mean we had like really good seats well yeah and the room we were in i think would be their equivalent to what like their hall h because this one had bathroom passes yeah so i mean even though it was sunday when we got in there for the first one which was a movie screening by the time the second panel was there which we stayed in for the room was starting to fill and then oh was it was super one. full there were more people in and it's like well i guess we can't really leave because people well because so the convention you know technically opens at like 10 and we got there and we got our passes and we were we were kind of like in the convention by like 10 15 and so when i had the program i was just like look we need to get to one of these fucking rooms and so i'm flipping through like what program we wanted to see. Well, we knew and, which one we were going to because we had looked at it the night before and there was um, a DC superhero girls Lego movie that we were going to go see mainly for our daughter because she really has a thing for Harley Quinn. She loves Harley Quinn. Yeah. So we were going to go do that. And, and we then, mentioned it to our son and he was kind of like, mm, yeah. okay. He's like, Lego movie, <laughs> I guess. You know, so we're like, okay, they want to see that. Um, so we, we knew what we wanted to see, but then we're like, okay, so what room is it in? And so then, um, it's in the, it's in the area that's basically the, like extent, the extension of WonderCon, you know, the area they added on to, um, recently. And so, yeah, the bigger room, um, it was located there. And when we got there, it was probably like 10, 20, we fucking walked like really fast, like through yeah. all the crowds and we got there like 10, 20. And we were like in the second row. We were like in the second row, and um, we we're like, you know, just right in front of like everything. Like it was a really good seat, but we didn't realize how early we got in there because the it was early. the panel didn't start till like ten forty five. Um, so we, you know, the kids were like, "When's this fucking thing starting, Dad? When's this thing starting? When's this thing starting?" They were over it before the movie even started. <laughs> yeah, but once it started, it was cool. Um, and so this panel that we went to. Started at 10.45 and it went until 12. And it was a world premiere of the Lego DC Superhero Girls. Um, it was called Supervillain High. And so the description in the uh, program, it says, uh, Be among the first to see the all-new animated film. After a mysterious school opens across the street, 
the students of Superhero High find themselves up against a new threat. Now Wonder Woman, Supergirl, Batgirl, and the rest of the DC Superhero Girls have to worry not only about the well-being of the grades, but about the safety and security of friends, family, and the rest of civilization. The girls must figure out how to put a stop to this new rival and save the world again. And, um, you know, so, I mean, they played the, I mean, it's a premiere, so they played the movie in its entirety. Um, and I would say there's generally speaking, like our daughter, she falls asleep through everything. Okay. So I've taken her to like <laughs> guardians of the galaxy, volume one, volume two, I've taken her to like every fucking Marvel movie that's ever come out. We just went and saw ready player one. Uh, we, yeah, we just Yesterday. saw uh, ready player one last night. And she fell asleep for a little bit in that, too. I mean, in the movie, the Ready Player One was amazing, and we'll probably do a podcast on that as well. But it just goes to show, like, all these super awesome movies that we've taken her to see. Like, even Star Wars. Even Star Wars, she, like, kind of fell asleep for, like, 15 minutes. Okay, those are long, though, and comfortable chairs. <laughs> yeah, so chairs anyways. the panel, not comfortable. But you I'm just saying, like, she's super susceptible to falling asleep in the middle of a movie. This movie didn't fall asleep. She actually was she didn't even she wasn't even like leaning in her chair half the time she's like leaning forward like totally into it totally engaged like she really yeah, liked the movie it was aimed towards her age though too yeah and- but even okay so our son who's always like mm, totally not into <laughs> anything cool he even he was like even i was like so what'd you think and he looked at me and he's like yeah it was pretty good i liked it like he was totally like even he was into it <laughs> it was cute yeah, she kept asking, oh, when is it going to come out in theater? It's not a theater movie, but it is going to come out digitally on May 1st and DVD on May 15th. It is good. And it is mm-hmm. it is lengthy enough. That yeah, it's about, what, an hour and 15 minutes? Well, yeah, I mean, it, it, it was... It was it the panel be- did go over. I, I heard that from several other people that were coming into other panels that they were behind. So the movie ran a little bit over, I think, so... Yeah. I mean, so it's a good solid length that you won't be sad if you buy it. <laughs> I mean, but yeah, it's, it's, I, and I wouldn't even say it's, um, like the other Lego movies. It's, it's in the Lego, the female Lego design because it's aimed toward girls. So, I mean, like, I know there's, there's a different set of Legos that's made for girls. Yes. And, and so it's made with that, those Legos. And you can hear them click when they're walking. <laughs> yeah. I was like, what is that noise? It's like, oh, you hear them moving. I don't ever remember that in the Lego movies. Like, <laughs> like they're wearing <laughs> heels or something? Yeah, I was like, what the heck? It's like, oh, they're walking. That's cute. Yeah. And also kind of annoying. But, yeah, the the, the movie ended up being pretty good. I mean, like, for kids, they, they were super excited. I, I mean, I don't know. They didn't mention what it was going to cost, but... I mean, I think like any movie that goes like straight to DVD, it's probably going to be like $15 or something. Probably. So, um, so yeah, there was that. Our kids enjoyed it. I mean, I guess I, it was okay. It was I mean, cute. It, it was cute. I mean, it definitely wasn't on par with like what you think of when you think of like the Lego movie or like Lego Batman. Like it wasn't there. No. <laughs> but it was, it was definitely, it was like kind of there. But just like maybe a notch or two below, like definitely super aimed towards kids. They could I mean, take not those that the girls there if they wanted to. They could. The potential's there. Yeah, I mean, they definitely could. I mean, but you know, budget wise, I think it was just. I mean, it was made for fucking DVD. <laughs> like you know, like most made to DVD movies aren't going, you know, straight to video. Yeah. Or they, that's not the that's not the budget. So, um, 
right after, um, while we're looking at the program, I'm like, okay, so what's after this one? Cause I'm just like, okay, so what's after it? And then, um, the ones that, it, the one that ends up being after it is the iron giant, uh, the making of an animation masterpiece. Now the iron giant, I saw the iron giant. I thought it was a really good movie and it was like, you know, kind of sad, but still like cool. Um, but like, it wasn't one of those movies where like, I've seen it a ton of times, like, you know, any of your, you know, super major, like good Disney movies, like, um, fucking Lion King or like Aladdin or something. Oh, but such like, good movies. Yeah. You know, but, um, but I, I enjoyed the Iron Giant, but I, there's a lot of people that are like really into Iron Giant and I mean, but I guess there's those kind of people for like every movie. I mean, yeah. really. So, um, the whole, the whole, uh, panel was, uh, was like hosted, I guess, by the supervising editor, Stephen Frank. And he talks about the behind the scenes, um, sharing his personal learning experience, uh, working on Iron Giant and just generally answering all the questions uh, about the animated series. Now I kind of took a little bit of notes because he had a lot to say. And I would say that I would say more than half of the panel was just answering questions. Like he had some information to present that had to do with Iron Giant but then almost immediately opened it to questions that people had. And then once he kind of answered all those questions, then he started like, oh, hey, by the way, I'm doing this other other project, you know, while there was still time. Well, I think he opened it up to questions mostly because everyone was asking him about how it felt to see the Iron Giant and Ready Player One, mm -hmm. since everyone's questions were like, how does it feel to see the Iron Giant and Ready Player One? Because <laughs> everyone like asked it, and it's like, dude, did you not just hear the person in front of you ask like the exact like same question? Like they asked the same question in like a different way, right? They just kind of like move the words around? It's like, really? Because uh, like uh, sometimes I really just don't understand people that ask questions and conventions it's like please just listen it's like i know you're excited to ask a question but listen to the other people around you just listen listening skills people they're there for a reason but yeah it was interesting go with your notes yeah so i have a shit ton of notes i didn't realize he answered this many questions because each note is like in a paragraph form and it was like him answering a question i didn't write down the person's question but i wrote down his answers so i mean i guess it's like gonna be a lot of informational blurbs of like stuff that he answered. So one that uh, he he said that there there could be a sequel if uh, Warner Brothers ever got interested in the property. He said that they'd ignored the movie and they didn't promote it at all, and it was essentially dumped out um, because they had one more movie to make. And he said um, if they had actually cared about the movie, they probably would have made like. You know, what was the what was the example he used? Like I think it was like, you know, Kids in Camelot two or some bullshit. I the can't quest think of Camelot. Yeah, Quest for Camelot. And he's all if they actually cared, he's all they probably would have made like a Quest for Camelot part two or whatever. Yeah. Um and uh so he said that the that it only got made again, because you know, like we're talking about people asking redundant questions, was he said it only got made because of the studio's lack of interest, which ended up equaling more freedom to make the movie. So, you know, he was just pointing out that the movie was able, they were able to do what they wanted to do with the movie in terms of, like, the storyline and stuff um, because Warner Brothers wasn't, like, super involved in their making of the movie. And that, you know, part of the reason it's such, like, a 
a classic movie at this point and why everybody loves it so much is partially because the artists were kind of able to run with ideas that they had as opposed to, you know, like a studio, you know, perfect example is, you know, like DC, you know, like we're like in the last podcast, we're talking about all the differences that DC's making in terms of like, you know, replacing this head and not getting this director anymore and going a different direction with this. And it's all because they're so involved in trying to make, you know, such a successful movie that it kind of ends up like hindering the ability to like make a really good movie because they're, I mean, yeah, that's their money and they want it to be successful, you know, to make more money, but you kind of need to let people work. And I think that, you know, what he's saying is that the Iron Giant's like solely as good of a movie as it was because of the lack of interest. Um, <laughs> and then, so somebody was asking like how long it took from the point that um, they wrote or they drew the, the sketches to when it was like in full animation. And this was actually like super surprising. He said that the movie only took one year to make from sketches to the movie and the animation only took about nine months, which it's an incredible amount of work when he was kind of describing like all of the processes they had to do in order to go from like the sketch to like re-sketches to like, you know, over tracing these outlines to like, you know, make it look cleaner and then moving it forward for coloring and doing all this stuff. He was talking about like stacks that were just, you know, half as tall as him that they were going through in order to, you know, make this possible. And I'm just saying to myself, like, holy shit, like, could you imagine? I mean, like, even as an artist, a professional artist, like, just having like massive stacks and stacks of. No, that's a lot. I mean, yeah. I mean, it just seemed overwhelming with him just talking about it. But I guess he was saying that's where, you know, all the artists kind of came together and like shined. Um, he said if he had a nickel for every person who had told him that that was their favorite movie, he could pay for another movie himself. Which, I kind of laugh because, you know, everybody's always like, oh my god, I know who you are. Like, that's the best movie ever. Like, everybody always says that, and he's just like, dude, if there were half as many people that were, you know, as half as interested as people say they are about this movie, I mean, it probably would have been way more successful than it had been, and they probably would have thought about a sequel. You know? When you, when you think about it, like, yeah. it's like, seriously, all these people that are fans, um, that didn't reflect in the box office. <laughs> I don't even know. I never saw that movie, so I can't be one of those fake people. It's not my favorite. I don't even know it. <laughs> um, he, I mean, and, and what he was saying is that he felt like the movie is everybody's secret favorite movie because of the resurgence and interest in the movie. Um, he doesn't know if it's necessarily due to the interest in Ready Player One, um, you know, but it could be. I mean, it's it not is. even that big of a deal in the book. That's the thing. I... Sorry. It's is it a... mentioned in the book? I mean, here, see, look, it. I've, I've only, so like, okay, I've seen Iron Giant. She hasn't. I've only seen Ready Player One, the movie. She's actually read the book. I mean, I mean, we're not talking about that yet, so maybe we'll end up spoiling like our next, our next podcast. So maybe we should just move on and stick to our our um, our point. <laughs> so um, he also says, um, "What would you know?" Somebody asked, "What would be a good sequel to Iron Giant?" And he said, "He feels the movie is pretty complete as it is, so it would have to go in a completely new direction." Um, and he isn't really he isn't really sure what that would be. And the thing is, I mean, if it is a good movie, like I don't understand why anybody'd want to push. A sequel. I mean, I know you like love something and like you'd like to see more of it, 
But like at the same time, the sequels almost always let you down. Well, okay, Lion King. We just mentioned it. Lion King one, awesome. Lion King two, kind of terrible. I don't even remember the second one. Exactly, that's my point. Like Lion, King, you know, everybody's gonna be like, "Oh, does anybody remember Iron Giant 2? You know. So I don't know why anybody. I don't know why people would be obsessed with like making a sequel to a classic. I mean, not unless I mean, not unless it was planned, or not unless there's like. You know, more story to be had, or... I, I don't know. It just... Again, these are just people wondering. So, um... Let's see. And, and he said he didn't want to do any sort of movie that was kind of just, like, shoved down your throat. You know, and, like, just, like, shoveled to the audience. He wants it to be good and exciting for everybody. So, I mean, again, he's basically saying what I was saying. Is that if there's nothing there, there's nothing there. Like, he doesn't want to force something to be good just because people want it. Like, right. there has to be, like, a reason behind it or, you know, something good to be made. Um, it wouldn't make sense to just go back to the drawing board simply because of that. Um, now, let's see here. He was mentioning that, uh, oh, this was kind of funny. Somebody was asking him, like, what kind of got him into, you know, the position that he is in, you know, and being a, being an animator and, you know, involved in all of these projects. Um, he said uh, that when he was six, um, he used a glass table to use as his light table. And um, that was kind of how he got interested in animation. Um, he said he was drawing a rocket ship uh, taking off. And he ended up taking that table. He says he's not really even sure how he did it. But this was a table that was like in the living room, like downstairs in the house. And he somehow managed to get this heavy-ass glass table, like, all the way up to his room upstairs. And when his parents went looking for the table, they found that it was in his room. And so he was using as one of those light tables. So, you know, you have the paper on the glass, and he's shining the light through the bottom so that you can do a really good job of retracing. I mean, it's essentially what a light table is. But, um, you know, is instead of parents being, like, super pissed, like, God dang it, like, you know, put the table back downstairs they were just like, okay, well, uh, looks like uh, you know, you know, you're you're using that table for a purpose, and uh, so it looks like it's right where it needs to be. And um, you know, he said that they were just very supportive um, of his ability and will to to draw, and um, they they never really called what he did a hobby. He said that you know you just need to be like you know supportive, and that a lot of kids in some way, shape or form are, you know, are on a pre-professional track and that, you know, the key to them being successful is just like nurturing that focus, so to speak, is what he was saying. Yeah. Um, and so somebody was asking if there's like a more complete version of the Iron Giant, you know, that has like all of the behind the scenes stuff or whatever. And he said that the DVD Blu-ray is the most complete version of the movie, and the storyboards um, that were at, that weren't animated and that were later made by the studio for the release of the movie to disc. So, um, what he's explaining is that those animations that are included in the Blu-ray, those were things that they'd initially wanted to animate um, to add to the movie, but there was no budget at the time. So then, when they ended up going back and doing like a DVD Blu-ray release, and they had those. Um, panels then they animated it and they you know used it as like behind the scenes content so beyond that there's like really nothing else um 
So, yeah, I mean, that's, uh, that was, uh, I mean, pretty much it as far as what he was saying. And, oh, so I think one of the last things, I think one of the most important things was, uh, people were asking if, uh, the voices are recorded first or like after, like how the, how that animation takes place. And so, um, what he's saying is that the voices are actually recorded first and then the animators draw the characters and work off of that and try to understand the physicality of the voice and predict the subtext, which I mean, makes sense. It would be kind of weird if like they just drew it and then, then you had to voice it afterward. It would almost come off like one of those, you know, really badly dubbed, you know, <laughs> 1990s, uh, you know, Kung Fu movies. Right. Um, so, I mean, it only makes sense that they would, rec- you know, record all of the all of the lines and then animate it based on that. Yeah. So, I mean, but maybe they do it different now. I mean, because, you know, that was, you know, a different form of animation. I mean, they were actually drawing. I mean, maybe now that it's CGI, maybe it doesn't matter. Well, because now it kind of looks like their actual faces a little bit, don't you think? Like, yeah. Like, you can... When you find out who the it's actor nuts. is, you, see, you like, can kind of see their features into it. Like, I don't yeah. know. I don't yeah. know. It just seems different. Indeed. Um, so, um, I mean, it, the overall, like, he he talked, uh, you know, a lot about that. I mean, really, he was just super focused on trying to answer whatever questions people had. And, you know, he, he put on display, like, some of the, um, you know, animation you know, from Iron Giant, you know, up on screen and stuff and, and talked about that. Um, but it, it wasn't the initial, you know, panel that we had intended on seeing. It was kind of like, okay, we're taking our kids to see the superheroes one. And then there's the Iron Giant one. So let's see how this one is. And it ended up being okay. And the whole reason we stayed through that one was because of the panel that I wanted to see that took place like right after that. And um, this next panel um, that came right after the Iron Giant was X-Men, the animated series 25th anniversary, which I grew up watching the X-Men animated series like back when, you know, like Saturday morning cartoons started at like 8 a.m. And like you would just, there was like a two, two and a half hour block of cartoons, like one after another. And like my favorite one was, you know, just waiting for the X-Men. Um, it was pretty amazing. And that's what actually... um like kind of motivated me to buy all of these X-Men comics and action figures and all this stuff and collect cards. Um, that was like one of the major, uh, cartoons, you know, for me growing up. And, you know, nowadays, I mean, shit, our kids, our kids, like they sleep in hell late. Our our daughter, not so much. (laughs) My son, like he'll fucking sleep all day if you don't wake him up. You know, for me, like it was the complete opposite. Like Saturday morning, I was up. You know, like, up, I was, like, ready to watch fucking cartoons, you know, outside playing and shit, and, like, pretending I was fucking Wolverine. And, you know, it's just yeah. a little different now. You had to get up early, because, I mean, you got your cartoons, and then it was chores. <laughs> fucking chores, lol. <laughs> so, um, in... Yeah, I, mean, I had some chores, not a lot, though. So, in this panel, it was uh, Eric Leewald, who's a series showrunner, author on... Um, uh, previously on X-Men, the making of an animated series. Um, Larry Houston, who is a series producer, director, 
um, Julia Leewald, uh, Bob Skur, and Lee Unley writer uh, included. Um, God damn it, they abbreviated this. DOFP Part One and Two, um, Nightcrawler, and uh, Days of Future Past. Yeah, that's what it is. Um, celebrate the much loved series with never before told behind the scenes stories. Yeah, that that's what it was. They were actually responsible for that for that series and were directly involved in the making of the movie. So, um, let's see here. I guess what, what, what I think one of the funny facts of like this of the whole panel was that uh, the heck is his name, uh, Larry Houston, he was always putting like Easter eggs. Oh yeah. In in a lot of the uh, in a lot of the comics, and the thing was is at the time like they were like really tight about like what properties or what types of heroes you could use in like whatever storyline. Because they didn't want you, like, messing up, like, a story arc. Or just for whatever reason, like, they didn't have the rights to this or that. And he always thought it was kind of stupid that, like, you couldn't use them. Like, even, like, in a, a limited capacity, like, as a, you know, kind of a cameo or a nod or something. So, when you're entering um, your animations, you kind of have a name for all of these different characters that you've drawn. And so, when he had tried to get something passed through before... Like, he used the actual name of the hero, you know, like, for example, the Incredible Hulk or something, and they would reject it, because they wouldn't let you use it. So, what he ended up doing was, like, making up, like, bullshit names. They were for, all mutants. Yeah, he'd make up he'd make up bullshit names for these uh, characters that he was drawing in. They were legitimate characters in the Marvel, in the Marvel Universe, but, yeah, he'd make up a made-up name. So, like, Magic Mutant was Doctor Strange. Um, Thor was Norris mutant. Um, Black Panther was African mutant number three. Um, he, uh, snuck Spider-Man in, um, and how he did that was he called it mutant hand. And it's because it's a panel where it was his hand, like, but with the, with the, you know, he's thwipping and like, you know, he's got the, the, the Spidey gloves or whatever. So, you know, it's Spider-Man. And then, um, he says he... He had to do that when he was like being denied using their real names. Now the um, artist uh, Len Unley, he's the guy that actually uh, created Nightcrawler. Um, let's see here. Okay, so um, there was a question that was asked, and it was basically, what made like Marvel just more successful than DC? And I mean, it's something that like we always talk about, and people always mention. They say, "Hey, look." You know, what it, what it is is that we always focused on the character first and, you know, on what they were dealing with and then with the other stuff second. Like, that's why everybody's always thought that I think Marvel characters are just more compelling. And what they use as an example is, like, Nightcrawler, like, being, um, you know, a devout Christian and, like, Wolverine always kind of, you know, like, questioning faith and then always being, like, that, like, subtext that's going on. Um, or even like with Rogue, um, she obtained her powers from draining Miss Marvel's powers and, you know, she's brought up by Mystique. And so she's got this whole dark past that is, you know, really hard for her to deal with, but is, you know, she gets help from Professor Xavier in terms of helping her suppress her memory 
so that she doesn't have to deal with it. Right. You just have all these characters that have, like, you know, deep, dark pasts or things that they're dealing with in terms of, like, sure, they're, you know, they're heroes and, um, you know, they have these incredible powers and um, the ability to, you know, do 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 crazy stuff and fucking punch through walls and, you know, save hundreds of people. But at the same time, like, they're battling their own demons. Whereas, like, the, they feel like the only character you really have... Like, dealing with that. I mean, they try to create some of that shit, like, in DC, but you only Batman. ever really see it with Batman. So then they end up uh, talking about um, the fact that they kind of had to dumb down the story just a tad. Um, the thing was, is they wanted to focus on more complex storyline than a, what a lot of other cartoons were doing at the time. They kind of felt that kids didn't need to be talked down to and that, you know, they can kind of deal with some things that are going on and, you know, seemingly, I don't know, like, uh, I mean, not adult content, but just like smarter content. Yeah. I mean, definitely smarter. And so, you know, they didn't try to oversimplify their cartoons, what they think is what made it so popular on top of, you know, like the character first aspect of everything. And so that's what kind of set them apart from everybody else. And, you know, ultimately, you know, made them the success that they are. Um, you know, they also mentioned in, you know, uh, as far as like the artistry, they very much tried to focus on the art of Jim Lee. Now, Jim Lee, I freaking love Jim Lee. I followed all of his stuff going like way back. And, um, I was like super excited when I got to actually like meet Jim Lee because like he's an incredible artist. I mean, right now he's actually, you know, with DC drawing Batman. Um, but Jim Lee, uh, they, they wanted to kind of focus on his art, you know, like with the animation, um, cause he's very detailed. Um, now they weren't focusing on it exactly, but more like the style of, of, uh, of Jim Lee. The thing is, is Marvel didn't want to go that direction because at that time, uh, Jim Lee had left Marvel for image comics. And I think that's kind of where like you start getting into like Wildcats and all these other things that he was involved in. Um, so Marvel didn't want them to focus on like the Jim Lee style. And I think it mainly just had to do with like, well, okay, we're not going to focus on his style if, you know, he's not with our organization anymore. They were bitter. Yeah. But they're like shooting themselves in the foot because it's like he had the most, you know, talented overall, like graphically pleasing content in terms of, you know, what made these characters look good. Um, and so... They were getting a lot of pushback from Marvel when Marvel was basically saying you need to ditch this and do something else. So the way they got Marvel back was they said they ended up drawing these uh, models <laughs> that they said um, look like a Hanna-Barbera cartoon. Like some Scooby shit Doo. like right out of Scooby-Doo. <laughs> and submitted these panels to Marvel. And they said like they, these fucking people like nearly fell out of their chair just like, what the fuck is this? Like, it was, it was like garbage. It was a dumpster fire. And they basically went back to the artist and said, go ahead and draw Jim Lee style. Just don't, don't give us that Hanna-Barbera shit that you gave us before. Which I almost fell on my chair laughing. I thought that was so funny. Um, you know, and then they talk about like some other bullshit they had to deal with. So, you know, like in some of these intros, if you're watching some of the, um, so like as they, you know, I think it was like a couple seasons in, it might've been like season two or three. 
um, they started doing like these 360 models. They're like showing the character, their powers and abilities and stuff like that. And like a 360 model, of, like what they look like. And I remember that I was like, Oh my God, it's so fucking cool. And then I do remember like in the next season, it wasn't there. And I'm like, what the fuck? Like, why would, why would they go back to the old way? That, that other way was super cool. And they explained it in the, um, in the panel and it, it basically had to do with uh the fact that it seemed as though they were trying to sell um toys. merchandise and toys which is i guess against the law they're not supposed to do that and like kind of plant it and you know into a, a kid's cartoon and so they were basically told they had to remove it which even though everyone does it now yeah like it's nuts. it's fucking shameless now um but yeah, they were told they had to remove it because it was against the law. Which, I mean, even if they were trying to sell fucking toys, I mean, like, watching the cool fucking cartoons not going to make you want to buy toys anyways? Like, I don't understand what a 360 model does prior to the cartoon starting. Looks more like a toy, I guess. I guess. I don't, I don't know. know. I mean, the thought process, there, thought process there, I think, is a little bit flawed. Now, they had mentioned something about, like, getting the getting the movie started. They said um, doing the production for the movie um, through the 90s, that they said it was pretty tough to get off the ground. Um, and they said it basically had to do with the movie writers, uh, animators. Um, they said they were asked to go over a screenplay before this movie was released in 2000, and they had suggestions and like suggested several changes because it wasn't an X-Men story. And then when Josh Whedon was tapped and got involved, um, that there was basically nothing that needed to be corrected. Which, I mean, it, it goes back to, like, the Iron Giant shit again. The guy saying, like, hey, Warner Brothers wasn't super involved, and so we were able to, you know, be creative and kind of run our own way on this thing. But, I mean, obviously, on some level, the production company is a little bit more involved in this, um, you know, this movie getting off the ground. And so uh, these, all of these artists and stuff that are, like, experts on the X-Men are reviewing uh the content that's been written for this x-men screenplay and they're like what the fuck is this like this isn't even an x-men story like yeah. this is something else and what they were explaining at the time is that um you know even though they were like writing and like they were drawing for these comics and had been working um you know for marvel for several years and you know just know all the ins and outs like obviously if you wanted to turn to an expert you'd ask these people but because they were dealing with like a comic book side of it and like publication, it never occurred to like a movie studio to even bother like asking these people for their input on like backgrounds for the um the characters or storylines or anything. Which like does that even make any sense? Like these people are like writing comics. They're literally writing stories all the time. They're not even gonna ask these people? For any kind of help? It makes... They're writing the cartoon, though, right? It I know, but still... I mean, but still, like, I mean, if you're if you're hiring some random writer to just write a screenplay, but they don't have as much experience in, like, what the content is actually about, like... No, I know, I get it, but still, it's, it's Hollywood. They don't make sense. Insightful. Well, look at all the other garbage X-Men movies they've made. I mean, like... 
Yeah, it doesn't look true. like they take anybody's advice anyways. Which, I mean, you know, talking about all this stuff, I mean, it, it shouldn't shock anybody. It's, it should actually kind of just clarify that this sense. is exactly why they fucking failed the way that they did. And so another um, thing that was brought up was actually by Bob Skur. Um, he was the one that introduced, like, the Gene Gray, Scott Summers, Logan love triangle. And that um, it basically had to do with, you know, all of these comics that were ever taking place. Um, you know, it always seemed like Logan was interested. And, like, if something happened to Gene, like, he was losing his mind, you know? And, you know, I mean, but obviously John or, or Gene is, like, Gene's, like, super involved with Scott. But then whenever you found out that Gene was okay, then it was like, okay. Like, he's back to just, like, being normal and, like, never really trying to put any moves on her. And so he was like, what the fuck? Like, you know, in all these cartoons, like, he always seems to have some sort of interest. And then, like, he goes crazy when it looks like something's going to happen to her, but then, like, never actually pursues anything. And so, you know, he'd actually kind of introduced that whole thing that actually became, like, a big focal point for a lot of, you know, like, moving forward. Like, yeah. the issues that, like, him and Scott always have and... You know, Gino is being like, "Oh, Logan, don't and all oh, Scott." I I, th- I thought it was, I thought it was actually pretty funny that like he's just like, "Yeah, I did that." <laughs> I was like, "All yeah, righty then." Yeah, put it in the cartoon and it's in all the movies. <laughs> yeah, which I mean, hey, every fucking movie, like when it comes to like, um, I mean, anything in terms of just you know when a movie's getting made, there's got to be like some sort of love triangle, right? That's true. I mean, like, if you think back to, like, any big budget movie, there's always some sort of love triangle. I mean, even, even like, okay, even, like, some of these Marvel movies, you kind of have this sexual tension with, like, Black Widow and Hawkeye. And then there's, like, like even Black, Black Widow, Widow and, 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 and Incredible Hulk or, like, it's always somebody, right? But there's and always... Captain America. And, like, seriously, it's Black Widow and everybody. Yeah. But... Everybody. But it's Black Widow. And everybody. Rounds. and so i mean pretty much after that wrapped up um after they were done showing a lot of the different panels and all the you know old panels that they had drawn um we're like all right let's bounce out of here and we uh walked around the floor for a little bit just kind of like oh we're gonna kill like an hour or two here and when we're walking around the floor it was very much a comic book convention like i didn't see a lot of big companies that are like usually there i mean we even looked at the we even looked like at the like actual floor map it just seemed like there were a lot of like you know movie studios that like weren't there that are normally there or there weren't um there weren't like a lot of like game companies that were there you know with uh like demos set up or anything Mm-mm. it seemed like there was a lot less of that this year than in previous years i mean i know there were some big events that were going on like on saturday or Friday, it had to do with, like, you know, Walking Dead or Fear the Walking Dead or whatever. And, like, certain panels and shit that were going on. But, like, just in terms of, like, you know, big, you know, oversized um, displays that were on the floor where, you know, there were big lines, you know, taking place to, you know, partake in some of this cool content that's usually there. It seemed like it was missing or... I don't know if maybe, like, some of these places are holding back because, you know, you got Comic-Con in july or what the i mean like what was going on there i mean i I, I wouldn't even i mean it didn't affect 
WonderCon anything too much because like we still enjoyed it. We still went to a bunch of other, you know, booths and you know, like our kids, uh, you know, bought some, uh, you know, still art from you know local artists and you know T-shirts and all these other things. I mean, we we generally still had a good time, and there was a lot of programming in terms of uh, um, panels. They were pretty good. Um, it was just it was just noticeable from like our previous year's attendance. Yeah. Uh, so I was kind of like, what the hell? What's going on there? I'm not sure. Kind of felt the same way about the cosplay. I don't like, know. I mean, I mean, I would say that. I mean, because there were some good cosplayers that I saw. Just not as. I, there wasn't an overabundance. Not a lot. Like everyone is on their chill day too. Yeah. Well, it's Sunday, right? Everybody's like showing up for like Friday and Saturday. Oh well, yeah. It's like you know when you go into the club. You're getting ready for Friday and Saturday night, right? You're not showing up for Sunday night. Yeah, but you, you know, even when we've gone in on other Sundays, it seems like there's been more. Like looking at Instagram, for example, even though their algorithm's off, boo, but whatever. <laughs> pictures from Friday and Saturday, you're like, oh, that looks like really fun. Then it's like crickets for Sunday. It's like, where is everybody? <laughs> like that's kind of how the convention was as a whole. It's kind of like, where is everybody? Yeah. Like, I don't know. It just felt like it was good, but it felt like less. I don't know. It's kind of hard to explain. It was just... Yeah, I mean, like, it was noticeable. I don't know. But, I mean, there's so much good, you know, content as, you know, as far as the, as far as panels go. And, I mean, there is enough stuff, you know, in uh, the convention center to do that it wasn't as though it, you know, stunted our ability to have fun or that... uh there was a lot less that just made us not want to come back or something. Like, that's not it at all. It was just one of those things where, like, we've been attending for so long. Now that we're, now that we've, you know, that we've been going for a while and, and then we show up for this year, we're kind of like, hmm, something seems different. And we're like, wait, are these, are these places missing? And then we're like, no, maybe we just, we just didn't walk all the way around the floor so then we're like, no, you know, let's look at the map. You know, maybe we missed them. And then we pull out the map. We're like, oh, they're not on the map either. I did appreciate being able to walk without having people be like right on me, though. Oh, yeah. I mean, we were definitely weren't like bumping into a bunch of people. It was it was noticeably. Um, I don't know. It was I mean, it's Sunday. It's fucking Sunday. Like we said before, like people are winding down. You know, I think everybody kind of knows that. tables, too, though. That kind of sucked. I mean, they didn't even wait it out until the end. It's like we walked in the doors, and it's like, hi, empty tables. Oh, there you are. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, after that, um, I mean, like, it, it kind of worked It's it worked itself out. Like, we kind of know what we want to do and what we want to see. And, um, you know, so, like, once we kind of hit some spots, we're like, all right, well, let's go see what else there is. And there was this one panel that was going to kind of finish us off for the day. And uh, that panel was, I have it uh, highlighted right here. Um, it was Starship Smackdown Ultimate Star Wars versus Star Trek. Now, I guess it's Star Trek. I pronounced it incorrectly. It is Trek. Um, it says, it's so on. Um, who will duke it out for the highly... Um, coveted Anaheim Smackdown crown this year. Can the Starship Enterprise defeat an Imperial Star Destroyer? Will Rogue One be assimilated by a Borg Cube? Will the Discovery be taken over um, by Ranthars? And what does God need um, with the Jefferson Starship? 
um, spaceologists. It says spaceshipologists Ashley E. Miller um, from Thor X Men First Class, uh, Stephen Melching from uh, Star Wars Rebels: The Clone Wars, Kay Rydell, Freaked in Twilight Zone, Christian Gossett, The Red Star, Darren Dodgerman, Westworld, Rennie Muldoon. It says nepotism. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Derek A. Hughes, The Flash and Scream, and Robert Meyer Burnett from Free Enterprise. Um, they slug it out to determine whether Trek is the best or Wars is the winner. Moderated by the man with the most Metaclorians, Mark A. Altman, who uh, does St. Martin's Press, The 50-Year Mission, and Tours So Say We All. Now, the guy that moderates it, he talks about having the most Metaclorians, but this motherfucker is a Trekkie. He wrote a fucking Trek book about Star Trek. Right? Yes, he did. Now, he's super proud of his book that he pitched like 22 times during the whole fucking program. And the side that is arguing Star Trek, they actually know a shitload about Star Trek. Now, on the other side, yes, on the other side, do you want to explain um, the shortcomings of the Star Wars team? Um, They sucked. (laughs) It's like they fucking got like one guy that saw like Star Wars Episode 4, and they're like, all right, you're good. And just like threw him on the fucking panel. It was horrible. They had no defense, and the kids didn't belong. They weren't listed in the program, because I'm pretty sure somebody there didn't show up, which is why they threw that kid on there. Right. But yeah. It, like, it, now, I mean, like, and she's talking a fucking kid, like, this kid's like, like nine. Second grade. Yeah. he said, my second grade teacher. So. Yeah. He was like eight or nine years old. I mean, he didn't mind talking in front of a lot of people or in front of a microphone. Like, definitely, like, kudos for that. Ramble, ramble, ramble. But the kid, like talked about all kinds of other shit and pizza like cutters. made no good points yeah he called us he called one of the fucking starships uh for star trek a pizza cutter which made people laugh but you know ultimately you know this kid wasn't very insightful when it came to like you know why a ship would fucking defeat another ship but even like the adults that were with him like the three adults that were with him like they were equally as terrible like yeah. they were just really bad i, I mean they were really bad there was one guy that was like he he'd, he'd picked a ship and then the, the Star Trek team had picked a ship, and they're like, okay, so why would the Star Wars fucking ship, like, defeat this ship? And he's all, well, first off, it can swallow stars and shoot at you. And you're like, um, first off, you did not choose, you know, you didn't choose that fucking star base. You chose a fucking ship, you know, and, like, everybody started laughing at him because, like, he chose a ship, but then, like, when he's making points about the ship... He didn't, he's like talking about a whole different fucking ship. Like, he's like, oh, my bad. So, like, it made him look like he didn't know what the fuck he was talking about. He looked like a huge douche is what he looked like. It was so depressing. I'm going to drink this Mike's Heart of Lemonade because I'm just talking about it. And I'm just like, holy fuck. I mean, that that panel was a catastrophe. I'm just. Actually, we looked at each other like halfway through it. And we're kind of like, do you want to sit through the rest of this? But. We really didn't have anything else to do. We had nothing else planned. The convention was closing at that point, anyways, because it was Sunday and it closed at five, and that panel pretty much ran to the end of close. Mm-hmm. So there wasn't a whole lot left to do. I mean, I still want to go to the floor and spend more money, and we didn't. So <laughs> we just sat there. Yeah, I know. My kids it were was... like, 
er, me because I went for the Star Trek team because I was raised more on Star Trek than Star Wars, even though I appreciate both. But the Star oh. Trek team actually made valid points. The thing is, everything that they chose. Is, so of no, course no. I'm going to support them because they made valid points and could back up their arguments. Okay, the so Star Wars team was like, is she's agreeing with all the Star Trek people? Time. I'm just over here like filling out divorce papers. Like, okay, this is it. This is the moment. I, I realize that this isn't going to work anymore because <laughs> I'm just like I'm thinking to myself like okay the Star Wars guys they chose good ships there were a million reasons why they could destroy the Star Trek ships I'm and like they could I'm like bursting at the seams like oh my fucking god like they can totally say so much of this shit right now and I'm thinking like I just want to run up there and like rescue the panel and like throw this fucking kid out of his seat and just be like <laughs> this is why the fucking this is why this motherfucking ship would win right but when your main arguments are well, James T. Kirk is just a big old womanizing douchebag, so he can't pilot your ship. And, oh, all the C4 in the under the seats is just going to explode, so that's why your ship sucks. Well, yeah, yeah you're going to lose your arguments because, really, there's a lot more to the Star oh. Trek universe than that. Yeah, the so. Star Wars guys are like, oh, yeah, you're talking about that Star Trek ship? It just goes, ooh. <laughs> You're just like, what the fuck? Like, that is the sound of the fucking laser beam, like, is what gets you going. Like, yeah, and that's true. I mean, that, but that was like in the 60s or whenever. Yeah. Um, so get over that. <laughs> yeah, it was just, it was just a fucking dumpster fire. Like, the, the Star Wars guys, like, never had a fucking chance. And I, I honestly, when they started coming back, I honestly think the Star Trek guys were just giving it to them so it would seem close. Is opposed is opposed to like some fucking like flat out blowout. Yeah, and I I still think that Star Trek guy in the end was drunk. He talked about being drunk in his last panel that he had been in the last whatever showdown they'd had for Star Trek. The one that Star was Wars. cussing and shit. Yeah. Oh, he fucking threw out like probably like twelve f bombs, <laughs> and everybody like every time he cussed, like the whole panel and like everybody's like. <gasps> Because, you know, you're not supposed to as but a panelist. But he made the most valid points oh, out of everybody. He was the funniest. His <laughs> points made sense. And, like, literally, like, his snarky comments and shit was, like, stuff that I totally would have said. Like, I could have drank beers with that dude and, like, bounced shit off of him all night. He's the only, he's probably the only reason I wasn't like, yeah, let's get out of this thing. Because yeah, let's he was blow funny. this fucking Everyone popsicle stand. was just like, uh... I mean, they all made points, but he was the funniest. They just didn't make good points. That panel was just kind of like a sinking <laughs> ship. It was like, why? No, it was why? really bad. Like, I felt like they could have picked, like, a handful of people from the audience. Like, literally, they could have said, hey, um, I'm here to host this panel. Um, I want to pick four <laughs> guys that want to be on the Star Trek team. And they could have got, like, four raised hands and brought them up. They could have been like, all right, four guys from the Star Wars team, and then brought them up, and then been like, all right, hey, what's your name? Introduce yourself, blah, 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 blah. And then fucking, you know, then had these guys, like, team up and and fucking go to battle, you know? And it would have been, like, compelling. Like, it would have been interesting. I felt like that would have been a way better panel. Yeah, when because when you had read the description of the panel to me i was thinking of like the other smackdowns oh. we'd gone to what is it um from the i think it was last year's WonderCon. and it might have even been stan lee's it was like the the smackdown schmodown or whatever whoever those are. dudes are hilarious because they That's act like I it's like thinking. a they act like yeah and honestly i did too like seriously we're on the same page on that these guys well because they have the youtube channel yeah they do um their panel is kind of like they do topics like that but they do it for points, and they do it for, like, championship belts. And they, like, are very, like, WWF intros. 
and all of this stuff. But like these dudes like legitimately know their shit. Like when they have people like do competitions that like are able to come on. Is it a YouTube channel or a podcast? It's a podcast. Yeah, that's who I thought it was. And then we got in there and it was them and I was like, are they ripping them off? Well, I think they just kind of named it that, but this was no ripoff. Like this was a cheap decoy. <laughs> it was it was uh yeah, I Except mean Except for that one guy. Yeah, the They're dude on the open. end. Yeah. So, um you know, after that, yeah, we just uh we just uh went home. Um, there was pretty we much had sushi. Yeah, there was nothing else beyond that. We went to a sushi bar in uh, Santa Clarita on our way home and had Steven, yeah, Stevenson Ranch, I think is its technical address. But mm-hmm. Santa Clarita, which makes me think of the Santa Clarita diet, which everyone should watch. But yeah, the sushi's really good. Yeah, it was pretty awesome. No fingers. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I mean, overall, um, we really enjoyed you know going to WonderCon or at least being able to attend it. Um, the panels, I think, were kind of what saved the day. Because, like, if we hadn't, uh, like, if I didn't get to go to the X-Men panel and I didn't get to make fun of, like, the dumpster fire that the Star Wars, <laughs> uh, the Star Trek Star Wars panel was. I like the um, Lego movie. And, like, the kids like the Lego movie and shit. Like, I was actually. Except my butt I was, hurt. I was more happy that my kids were happy as opposed to, like, me enjoying it. Like, I was kind of like, okay, my kids loved it, so that's good. Oh, yeah, they were super happy. So, um, you know, and just overall, like, our kids still had a good time, you know, at WonderCon, on the floor, like, just seeing everything. I wouldn't mind seeing more of the booths, like, afterwards, because, like I said, I was looking on Instagram, and I was like, where was that booth? I would have liked to have seen it. Didn't see it. I was like, man. So, I don't know. Yeah. I would have liked to have seen more of that stuff, but. Yeah. But, I mean, we'll still be going next year like we always do. Um, yeah, it was just a little disappointing that there were there were a few things that uh, were seemingly missing, but. Overall, happy with the attendance. Yarp. So, um, yeah, thanks for listening. Um, we will probably be doing a mixed podcast this next go around that'll just cover a couple of like news topics that have happened <laughs> over the past week. Maybe, maybe, uh, talk a little bit about the Santa Clarita diet that we just finished watching on Netflix. And then, and then, um, we will do another podcast which will be on. Ready Player One, which will just focus on the movie itself. So, again, uh, this is uh, wrapping up uh, WonderCon um, episode 71. Jesse with Amanda. Yay. Signing off and saying goodbye. Bye. Bye.